scripture today is from Luke 2, 41-52, and it's our tradition to stand when we're reading from the Gospels, so I invite you to stand as you're able, wherever you are. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers and listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. I am so excited to be able to preach from this scripture this week because even though it is one I have done often, it's always on the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's and there's very few people there. So it's not one that a lot of people have heard preached from. We're in the fourth week of our Origins series and today we are doing the Origins of Jesus. I know a lot of you know those stories, but for those of you who may be new to Christianity, I want to acknowledge that we celebrate the birth of Jesus pretty much the whole month of December, culminating on Christmas Eve, where we recognize the incarnation of God breaking into humanity. It changes our relationship with God, the Creator, forever. His arrival comes in the midst of some scandal and a chorus of angels who say repeatedly, do not be afraid. And that's honestly a message we could hear every week, isn't it? So there are only two other stories that we have about Jesus' origins. We get the two gospel stories that talk about his birth, but then we get his presentation at the temple. This is a story where he would have had a ritual blessing uh, and a naming. And so Simeon and Anna are both uh, named as witnessing this encounter that he's, at our best guess, probably eight days old. And so Mary and Joseph bring him to the temple, and we have this beautiful ritual that happens. This story, they recognize that he is the Messiah and that he is the one that everyone has been waiting for. Salvation, redemption has finally arrived with the arrival of the Messiah, even though it's this tiny baby. And so Simeon, he prophesies that there's some heartache for the parents involved in being the parent of Jesus, and he foreshadows the crucifixion in that encounter. And then it says that the family returns to Nazareth, and Jesus lives into the claim on his life. 
Which brings us to our story today, which is only found in the Gospel of Luke. And we know that Jesus traveled with his family, it says in the text, every year. That tells us they were good, faithful, and obedient Jews, and they made the journey to Jerusalem. And as they leave in the crowd of pilgrims, they journey for a day, and they cannot find Jesus. They have to go back and look for him. This is the only story we have in all of the biblical gospels from Jesus' childhood, and yet it is sandwiched between these two ritual purifications, the one I just told you about with Simeon and Anna, and then, of course, his baptism, where we know that John the Baptist baptized him in the River Jordan and the Holy Spirit descended. So in between these two ritual actions of blessing of Jesus, we get this story of him being a 12-year-old. As a youth minister for so many years, I often told the story to the kids, and I talked to about it as this is the story where Jesus sassed his mom. We learn from the text that this faithful Jewish family goes on this every year, and it's also interesting because he's referred to as a child or a boy in some translations. And I can only imagine that as a 12-year-old Jesus who knows on the 13th birthday that he will be celebrating his bar mitzvah and he will be considered a man, that this language of him being a child or a boy would be difficult. His parents find him at the temple and the scripture says he's sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. That's completely normal. People went all the time to sit in the temple to hear the scriptures being revealed to them and to ask questions to learn from the teachers. What makes this story so unique is that Jesus isn't just listening. He is also answering the questions. He's engaging, he's responding as if he is the teacher. So I want, to, I want you to recognize that at birth and at his anointing, he is fulfilling the promise of the Messiah. But here we get something very different. Here he is the one who interprets what it means to be the Messiah. He's the rabbi. He's now the teacher. He begins to reshape what the Hebrew scriptures mean by this, and his answers amaze those who are listening as he is training and teaching. But he isn't just repeating things that he has learned as a boy who would have been taught the scriptures. He is saying something new. And so we get this glimpse into this encounter of who the man Jesus will be after his baptism. But the teachers don't run him off. They listen, and they're amazed at his understanding of the scriptures and his articulation of what this means for three full days. That is huge. But the teachers... They see something they haven't seen before. The word that is translated from the Hebrew is also the word that is translated for the word ecstasy. You see, they're not just impressed 
They are unsettled. They are drawn into something they have never seen before. So then his parents arrive. Now, in the scripture, it says they travel for a day, and then they look for him for three days. And so as a parent myself, I cannot even imagine how frantic they were. Now, Wyatt read the scripture in a very calm, motherly voice. <laughs> you can tell you're not a parent because in my head, it comes with all the exclamation points. How have you done this to us, right? And so it made me remember a story when John and I lost our daughter, Hillary. Now, you'd think it would happen in a grocery store or someplace like that. I'm sure many of you have lost your child from one aisle to the next. But John and I were at home, and we lost our daughter, <laughs> which sounds really hard to do. But we had this big old barn of a house, and John was upstairs doing something. I was downstairs doing something. Paul was an infant in a carrier, so we knew where he was. But then... I thought that Hillary was with John, and John thought that Hillary was with me. And she was two. She was a toddler. And so when we realized, when John came downstairs, that neither one of us knew where she was, that's when the panic set in. And so it's such a big old barn of a house that we start thinking she's in a closet or she's hiding somewhere, and so we just we search the entire house and we can't find her that's when we really panicked. And so she had apparently gotten tall enough to work the latch on our screen door in the back of the house. We only lived three doors down from the Methodist Church in Oatmulgee, and we spent a lot of time walking back and forth to the playground there. We could actually see it from windows in our home. So John took off, assuming that she had headed straight to the church in the playground, which meant at two years old, she would have crossed the street by herself. I took off the other way, just because I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> and the next door neighbor is cleaning the dishes in her kitchen. She looks out the window, and she said she could tell by the look on my face that something horrible had happened. And she knew that I had no idea where Hillary was, because Hillary was in her house. <laughs> so she had five children, and they were out in the yard, and apparently my toddler saw the children all playing in the yard, and she pushed the clasp on the door, and she went out to play with the children, which would have been a whole lot easier on my heart because I could have seen her so quickly. But they had all gone in their house and just taken Hillary with them. <laughs> Now, a part of me questioned why any adult would allow a two-year-old to come to their home without talking to the parents, but we were so relieved when she walked Hillary out and said, I could tell by the look on your face that you didn't know where she was. And so, I think about Mary and Joseph and their 12-year-old boy, who they have now not known where he is for four full days. And in the text, if you look in your Bibles, it's exclamation, exclamation. She yelled at Jesus. <laughs> she confronted him. And then like any 12-year-old might say, in front of all his friends at the temple. <laughs> right? 
And so he doesn't give an excuse. He doesn't ask for forgiveness. And he says to her, how did you not know where I was? I have to admit that in 20 years of youth ministry, six-year-old boys were the bane of my existence. <laughs> they are frustrating. They know everything. They are silly. And they very rarely see the consequences of their behavior. And for some reason, they can't stop touching each other. <laughs> Poke, 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 wrestle, wrestle. Uh, and so when I think about Jesus as this 12-year-old, 6th-grade boy, it seems so obvious in some ways that his humanity made him typical in that way. He's oblivious to his parents' distress, and yes, he sasses his mother. He says, why are you looking for me? Like he didn't know they had left town, right? And he says, Do you, did you not know I would be at my father's house? I love that the very next scripture says, and he was obedient to them and he went home with them, right? It's like they're trying to make up for this text because they had embarrassed their son and they had to be embarrassed as his parents, right? you got to imagine that he, they asked other people to help look for him, that their frantic or contagious anxiety would have been passed to the community and to others that knew them and liked them. And then he didn't show any repentance when they confronted him. I'm sure he was actually protected from his parents because he was surrounded by rabbis and he was in the temple because if he hadn't been, they would have given him an earful. Jesus was obedient, but only to a certain extent. He was restless. He is stepping into manhood. He is reinterpreting the scriptures in the temple with the rabbis. He is stretching his limits, and he was probably really frustrated to be treated as a child. You see, every family has stories that they tell over and over again, and I can only imagine how many times that Jesus had heard his story, the story of his birth, over and over again, that God had a claim on his life to live up to what it means to be anointed as the Messiah, to carry the burden of saving us all. Can you imagine? It makes your parents wanting you to go into the family business look like nothing. Can you imagine? I have this funny t-shirt, and we found the image, but it's a from Inherit the Mirth, which is a Christian artist that looks like far side cartoons. And this is the three moms on their different animals, uh, camels and donkeys, and they're, they're, they're going away from us. And at the top of the bubble says, well, if it isn't Mary and Joseph. Now, I don't know about you, but I had those brag stickers on my bumper. My kid was student of the month, right? And so the first animal has, my child is an honor student. The second one says, our son is in medical school. And then it has this sticker on the back of Mary's donkey that says, our son is God, right? <laughs> it trumps everything else that there is out there. Our son is God. 
theologian West Avram, he wrote in Feasting on the Gospels that there appears a restlessness that runs through the Gospels with Jesus obedient in this way and also subversive. He respects his parents, yet he clear that his vocation trumps that of his family obligations. Mary speaks of his earthly father, and Jesus immediately describes the Holy One as his father and says his home is in the temple. He honors the teachers, but yet he presumes to teach them long before he is given any right to do so. We see in this 12-year-old Jesus, this future man, this Messiah, after his baptism, the one who tries to set his people free, not from military rule like they expected, but from a life of sin and death. He is a Messiah that completely reframes what it means to be the Messiah. We, too, as people of faith, are called to be like Jesus, honoring tradition, but at the same time being open to Christ's spirit and where it might take us. We are compelled by his example to listen and learn, yet we are also challenged when those things that ring untrue to the gospel of life and love that Jesus shows us. I call it the Jesus filter, that we should filter our decisions and our choices and the way we move in our life through this filter of what Jesus teaches us about how to treat each other and how to worship God. Restless obedience calls us to be thinking people who wrestle with how we live out our faith each and every day. And this is what Jesus teaches us. He touches the leper. He welcomes the, winner, the women. He eats with the sinners. He healed on the Sabbath. He included the Gentiles and the outcast. He had a preference for the poor. He said, blessed are the poor. He said, when you do to the least of these, you do to me. This is the Messiah that we claim to follow. We must invite Jesus into our conversations, our decisions, the way we live our lives. Otherwise, we might as well stop calling ourselves Christians. Amen.